I'm Ed Adams, and you're listening to the AFCA Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the AFCA Podcast. And today, we're diving into all the black brilliance in films from 2018. I'll explain more after the break. The AFCA Podcast is sponsored by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. Two thousand eighteen was a banner year for blacks in film. Not only did films featuring people of color take over opening week box offices throughout the year, but we saw an increase in people of color behind the camera and in production. From Marvel's blockbuster hit Black Panther to Barry Jenkins' If Bill Street Could Talk, the stories, songs, and visions of black people led their respective studios to unprecedented numbers. I'll get more into the numbers in a bit. To put all this in perspective, I only had to look to the founding members of the African American Film Critics Association, Gil Robertson and Sean Edwards. I had a conference call with them to dive into what 2018 meant for blacks in entertainment and the impact it had on the industry. Sean, Gil, welcome to the AFCA podcast. Hey, what's up, my man? Good. Good to be here. Okay. So, yeah, so looking back at the movies of 2018 that were produced this year, unlike other years where we have a lot of autobiographical or biographical stories like uh, Get On Up or uh, 42, we had more movies talking about the black experience. Um, Let's talk about some of the movies that you thought that captured the black experience this year. What was a good year? I mean, 2018, it wasn't just that it was like a realistic portrayal of the black experience, but you had fantasy because Black Panther is a comic book movie. You had back in the day stories based on real life events like Black Klansmen. You had movies based off of James Baldwin novels. You had a lot of movies that dealt with the current day problem with the police. So it was, it was, it was spread across the board. So, I mean, diversity was definitely plentiful in 2018 in terms of the black experience because it just wasn't just stuck in one particular type of group. Yeah, in terms of the storylines that, uh, you know, were present in cinema, it really did dive deep into the lives of black people. You know, to Sean's point, you know, everything from, you know, the fantasy, fantastical elements of Black Panther to, uh, you know, issues revolving around the criminal justice system, you know, as seen through, you know, the hate you give and if Bill Street can talk. And what, what was blind, it? Blind, 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 yeah, gods and monsters, blind spotting, widows. I mean, there, there was just, it was a plethora of, uh, of movies that dealt with like police brutality and the criminal justice system, but all done differently. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it was a good year. It was a good year. It was a year when, you know, there was a lot in the pot and there was a lot for us to choose from uh, and a lot for audiences to choose from. Uh, uh, you know, when going to the movies, and we made a, and these movies made a lot of money too. I mean, we're talking about an over an estimated like over one point five billion dollars 
from these particular movies about the black experience. Um, but speaking about that, well, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, that's that's not really the case. Uh, people need to be very, very careful what they read online. Uh, I mean, Black Panther alone made one point five. I mean, one point three billion. Right. So right. Let's start there. Um, yeah, I'm not going to necessarily. I'm not. I'm not necessarily jumping up and down with joy about the success of, of a lot of the movies this year because if, if you look at titles like The Hate You Give and Widows and Blind Spotting, they way underperform in comparison to how good those movies really are. So, I mean, we still have a long way to go before we start celebrating an overall success at the box office. Now, Black Panther, yeah, Black Panther blew the doors off the hinges in terms of a box office. But then there's some flaws there, too, because as well as it did domestically, it still didn't do as well comparatively, like overseas, internationally. So there's still a lot of work to be done at the box office in terms of, you know, you know, black film, because a lot of these movies should have performed a lot, should have performed a lot better. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, it's very, very, very important for, you know, for, you know, folks to consider the source of where they get their news. And I know that story actually performed real well for us um, on our social media, but it's, you know, it's somewhat misleading, and so, you know, you're talking about one film that, uh, you know, did very well uh, in terms of its box office return, and then you're talking about a lot of others, to Sean's point, you know, that were disappointing or that sort of broke even. Or they, right. or they struggled, or they, or they were actually, if you, do the, if you do the demographic breakdown, there were films about the black experience that blacks did not go and see. Black Klansmen did very well at the box office, but if you do a demographic breakdown, the majority of the money that Black Klansmen made was from white viewers. So, I mean, there's still, like, this, this funny, like, sort of what we decide to embrace in our community and what we decide to shun when it comes to, to, when it comes to movies and film. So, I mean, this celebratory thing, I mean, it, it makes... Yeah, Blind Spot and Hate You Give. I mean, all of... I mean, none of those... I mean, those movies failed to perform. So, right. I mean, it's still, you know, we're still widows, trying to widows figure out... Under, widows underperform. You know, how do you get black people into seats? How do you get them to invest in the telling of their own stories? It's still the dilemma, you know, that Hollywood has to kind of figure out. I mean, that's been a catch-22 for quite some time, right? I mean, it's like we, you know, we've had this conversation uh, before. It's like, you know, people are asking for more movies about us, and then we don't go see them. And then Hollywood's like, well, we gave them to you. And you're like, no, we don't want that story. We want this story. And then you produce that story, and then they still don't come. It's, 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 it's you know, it's always been this kind of kind of strange Cash 22 loop when it comes to, you know, minorities and, 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 and theaters, right? Well, the no, problem is people need to understand that this is very much a business and that no one is going to throw uh, good money after bad. So either you go and support these films or they just simply won't be made. Bottom line. Which is sad because a lot of these titles that we mentioned are very, very good films, exceptional films produced by, you know, a talented group of directors and producers, some of which are vets, some of which are newcomers. I mean, it, was, it, it ran the gamut this year, which which made 2018 so exciting because you had new people on the scene like Boots Riley, who delivered Sorry to Bother You, which was totally inventive, completely original. 
maybe too creative for some, but bold and daring nonetheless. And then you had seasoned vets like money. Steve McQueen but and Barry Jenkins. Sorry to bother you did make money because it came in at such a smaller budget. Like, sorry to bother you and Black Klansmen made money because the budgets were smaller and they actually performed very well. But like I mentioned earlier, if you do the demographic breakdown, they weren't wholly supported by the Black community. They got a lot of love outside the community, which is good, and I'm not knocking that. But they could have been much bigger hits if the Black community would have embraced Sorry to Bother You and Black Klansmen a little stronger. But then you also have the other factor, I mean, right, about distribution. Like, that doesn't really go. I mean, to your point, as you're dealing with a community that's very much in flux and that really doesn't know what it wants, that's, you know, uh, to my earlier point, you know, where are we getting the news? Where are we getting the information? How do we know when movies are coming out? Where to go to see them? How to support them? And so there needs to be some type of organized effort to be able to disseminate information properly to the community, which is one reason why we started this podcast, which is a way to inform people uh, within our community and other communities about things that are happening within the entertainment space. Absolutely. And then to go back to something that you were saying, uh, it made me think about uh, a, a movie that, you know, a lot of people didn't even know happened, which was Support the Girls, because it had such a low distribution number, right? I mean, it's a really good film, but yet it wasn't in a lot of theaters. People didn't even know about it. It didn't have a big marketing budget. And then it was kind of gone and it, it came and gone and nobody really knew much about it until the buzz started coming out about it. Well, that's true. But, but like I said, they're going to be some, I mean, but that's the, that's the business model. I mean, there, there was nothing you can do about that. It was, it was a smaller movie with a smaller budget. They didn't, they didn't have a lot of money for marketing and advertising. I mean, that's just some, some films are going to fall victim to that. And you, you really can't blame the consumer on that because, you know, the average person's busy living their lives and working a job and raising kids and, and going about their, their daily lives. So, I mean, they're, they're not like film buffs who scour through tons of information to find unique and different titles to go and explore and see. So, so some films are going to fall, you know, under the radar. That's a film that fell under the radar, despite the fact that Regina Hall delivered an amazing performance. And it got a blip of a buzz when she got a couple of uh, film critics groups wins as best actress. But it's definitely going to be a title that I think more people will catch up on. It's currently streaming now on Hulu. And, it, and that's, that's the beautiful thing about streaming and all these new platforms is you can catch up the titles a lot easier than you could 5, 10, 15 years ago. But some films, just by nature of the business, are going to fall under the radar, and it's no fault of their own or no fault of anyone else's. That's just the way that the business model is structured. Okay. And um, briefly, I wanted to kind of get your take on the fact that this year we had two sequels, um, uh, Creed Two and The Equalizer Two, both you know directed by black directors, and that's kind of want to get your take on what you thought of it, about the fact that we now have sequels in, in the works. I think it's a beautiful thing. I mean, long time coming. It was Denzel's first ever sequel. I mean, Denzel's a household name. Uh, he's proven at the box office. He releases a movie. It's good from anywhere to 75 to $100 million. He's that man. He's proven he has a track record. I mean, Creed 2 worked because Creed 2, Creed 2 was based off of Creed, which was, was very popular. It was a strong movie. It's part of the Rocky franchise, which is a huge household name. Uh, likeable cast. you got Michael B. Jordan, who's solid. Sylvester Stallone. 
and it's it's just a winning movie formula. It's it's a, it's a sports movie, boxing movie. You know, it's like you kind of know what you're walking into, and believe it or not, people really like that. People like to see movies that they're comfortable with. They like predictability. They like comfort, and that's what Creed and Creed Two provided. So naturally, it was going to be a knockout at the box office. That was AFCA co-founders Gil Robertson and Sean Edwards. Now, earlier in the interview, you may have heard a bit of a kerfuffle about box office number reporting. So let me clear that up for you. The article I referenced was a CNBC story that ran on January 4th of this year that went viral. That says that a record number of black directors among 2018's top films earning $1.6 billion at the box office. Well, this is kind of true, but as Gil and Sean suggest, it's a bit misleading. The number the article actually references is a domestic box office number, which, and yes, I crunched my own numbers, totaled $1.62 billion in ticket sales. But the reality is, these movies almost doubled that number with a whopping $2.85 billion in global box office sales, and that's something that should be mentioned as well. But moving on. So every year, AFCA polls its members of the best performances and best pictures. The results are our top 10 films and a list of best actor, actresses, song, and other superlatives that make up the winners that we celebrate at our signature annual event, the AFCA Awards. Here is Sean and Gil again to talk about the organization's winners. Good. All right. So we're going to go into our next segment, which is about the AFCA Awards. Now, uh, our award list came out in December uh, on the 11th, and uh, I wanted to kind of go through some of our, our top picks. Our top film, best film was Black Panther. We've already discussed that. Um, best director is Ryan Coogler. Uh, but best screenplay, Black Klansman. Man, it's just, I, I, I love this. I love the story. I love the way it was written. Uh, Black Klansman kind of worked in three different ways. Um, based on a real-life event that happened about a black undercover police officer in Colorado Springs that infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan, which on paper is like, wow, that's, that's pretty fascinating. But I love the political overtones because it was sort of like a direct correlation of what's going on right now with the current Trump administration in the White House. And the way that it was done and the way that the, the movie was structured and the satirical tone and the, the elements of comic relief, but also the tension and the believability and the way that it was written and structured was, was beautiful. It was co-written by Spike Lee and, and Kevin Wilmot based off of a novel that was based off the, the true life story of the detective who went to cover. And it was just a brilliant job of writing because this is the type of film that could have easily like, beat you over the head or, or, or gone in the wrong direction. So the balance was delicately done in order to, to, to pull it off. And it was just a, a job well done. A great example of, of really, really sharp, witty, but focused writing. And to go through the list again, now, so we have like Best Supporting Actor, uh, Russell Hornsby for The Hate You Give, uh, Best Supporting Actress, Regina King for If Bill Street Could Talk, um, Best Breakout Performance for uh, Amanda Sandberg for The Hate You Give, and then uh, the surprise, I was, I was so happy to see this, which is Best Animated Feature, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Let's talk about that for a second. You know, well, it was a total, you know, um, 
you know, you would sort of reintroduce these iconic characters, and it was done, you know, in a very clever way. Uh, it introduced a lot of technology that previously uh, hadn't been used in uh, in in the format. And so, uh, you know, it had a strong storyline. You know, it had all of the right elements to really make it work, you know, overall as a project. And we felt that it deserved notice. Uh, you might want to add that, I guess I should add, that uh, Peter Ramsey, who is African-American, uh, worked as a director on the project. And he also has history, having been a previous recipient of our very first Synergy Award, which is an award that we give out uh, annually during the summer. And Ramsey won that, uh, God, almost a decade ago uh, at an event that we did in Los Angeles. So uh, overall, great film. People should definitely check it out. Uh, you are introduced to the first Afro-Latino Spider-Man, which is A+. plus. You know, uh, we see uh, just a lot of, you know, creativity that you necessarily don't normally see uh, in animated uh, films. And so... I mean, great job, and uh, we look forward to celebrating them at our show on the on February 6th in Los Angeles. Awesome. Yeah, the movie really worked on a lot of levels, but I think that the fact that it was a celebration of diversity without making a point of diversity, because it represented, like, blacks, Hispanics, whites, Asians, and then the, the tone of the movie was perfect because it's actually the first comic book movie that works as both a comic book but also succeeds as a movie, which a lot of comic book movies fail at doing. So that combination of the two just sort of really made that film really stand out. And the fact that the animation was, was super stylish and then the voice work on this thing was totally believable. A lot of people really underappreciate that element of animated features, but the voice work and the casting on this film was, was spot on, which made a lot of the elements in the, in the overall film work. So, I mean, I actually had it as my number one choice out of all the movies in 2018. And I actually thought it worked better as a comic book movie than even Black Panther. But it's just a fantastic film. So going back to the list, we have um, Roma as best foreign film. uh, And the best documentary is Quincy. Oh, what can be said about uh, Mm -hmm. a documentary about one of the most iconic figures in entertainment. And so I personally thought that it was very well done. It was one of those films that I thought struck a great balance in, you know, providing you with information about who Mr. Jones is, where he's from, what his motivations and inspirations were to do and become uh, who he has become. And it was also entertaining at the same time. So it sort of, you know, brought those two important things together. And, you know, we're, we're enormously proud that, uh, Mr. Jones will come is coming to the Africa Awards on February 6th, you know, to accept the honor. Uh, he's also the recipient of our Stanley Kramer Award, uh, which is given out annually by the association. So our best song was All the Stars with uh, from SZA and uh, Kendrick Lamar from Black Panther. And then um, something that I was surprised, but yeah, uh, best new media, Red Table Talk. Let's talk about why this one. Yeah, Red Table Talk, I think, represents the future. Uh, People have been uh, trying to figure out uh, how to really do short-form content right. 
And I think that with Red Table Talk, uh, you know, Jada Pinkett gets it right in a way that is fun, that is informative, that's entertaining. And I think that Facebook is the perfect partner to uh, to introduce a show like that and make it work. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's well, first off, the concept struck a nerve. And, and anytime you can do that and all the clutter that's on all the social media platforms, I mean, you're, you're doing something because it, it's, it's a vast world of content. And anytime you create something that sticks out the way that the Red Table Talks did, it, it's fantastic. And the fact that she was able to sort of bring like this A-list element to where these celebrities that she had as guests would just naturally open up with her in this format is, 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 is a wonderful thing to see. But just the fact that she created a con of content that just sticks out amongst all the clutter is not an easy thing to do. And it, it, was, it was well executed. It was, it was interesting. I mean, you, you couldn't wait for the next one. It's definitely the future of, of media. This is the road we're going down and we're driving down that road at 99 miles per hour. And Jada Pinkett's on the, in, in the driver's seat with her foot on the accelerator, you know, taking us down new, new, new pathways. Yeah, Jada's the perfect host for this. I mean, I've known Jada for over 20 years, and um, it really allows a side of her personality to show that I, uh, that I think is uh, particularly attractive. And so, um, you know, again, to Sean's point, I mean, she's able to mix her own straight-in-your-face kind of dialogue, her, that part of her personality with, you know, an influx of A-list celebrities uh, you know, and it creates a winning formula. All right. And it was, it, was, it, was, it, it, was also, it was also nice to see black content actually thrive because that space has been, not, has been dominated by non-black content. So it was great to see that because that's the, that's the, the door that hasn't really fully opened yet in that world. It's black content still struggles on these social media platforms. So it was good to see that breakthrough and hopefully this leads to more black content in the future that actually has a, a big spotlight put on it, like Red Table Talk. I don't know if it's black content because, I mean, the subjects that, uh, that are introduced that are on that show are universal. You know, no, they're, the, they're, the, they're, the conversations are universal, but black, but she's black lens. Obviously, yeah, but she's the first black mother and daughter. Are all no, black. no, no. I get that. No, I get that. The, the no, the topics are definitely universal. But as a talent, she's black. There's not a lot of black right. talent in the viral space that succeeded the way she has with Red Table Talk. Like if you look at the Forbes list of the top fifty YouTubers, they're all white. If you go mm-hmm. any measurement of the of the, of the the top matrix of or who's do, who used to dominate the Vine space, who's dominating the Snapchat space, who's dominating the the Instagram space, it, it's generally ninety nine point nine percent white. So that's what that's the reference I'm making in terms of black talent. It was good to see Jada like sort of like break through that that glass ceiling that's been dominated by the mainstream. And another cool thing, finally, I mean, I think or additionally, uh, the cool thing about Red Tabletop is the fact that it's multi generational. You you get the millennial, you get the 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 pre millennial voice, you know, through her daughter. Uh, you get that teenage uh, vibe. Uh, you get Jada's, you know, um, voice as uh, a woman, and you also get to hear, you know, a more uh, senior perspective, you know, from Jada's mom. So 
it's great, uh, you know, an opportunity, a space where all three of those perspectives can live and um, and be heard. Okay. And now to, to kind of wrap up our list of our superlatives here, we got Queen Sugar for Best Drama, and we have uh, Insecure as Best TV Comedy. Both wrapped up their third seasons and were new for a fourth season, which starts next, I mean, actually this year. I mean, we are living in a golden age with regards to television, and Queen Sugar and Insecure certainly represent, uh, I think, some of the best TV that's out there. I feel like uh, those shows deliver authentic representations of black identity and black experiences, you know, told in a very funny and entertaining way. So we're absolutely thrilled. I mean, this is the third time that Queen Sugar has received our best TV drama. And it's simply because it really is a series that dives deep into uh, blackness into the black American identity and it's done so in a very real balance, authentic way, uh, but still, uh, you know, is entertaining. So uh, we're, we're thrilled that we're able to, that we're, we're, that we've recognized it again. And obviously with Insecure, I mean, Issa just continues to hit the ball out of the park with, uh, you know, her stories about what it's like to be young black female and single you know, in the big city. And I mean, she does a great job. It's a great support cast. And, uh, you know, again, we're glad that, uh, that it's, uh, that it made our list this year. Now I gotta be honest with you, Ed, I didn't vote for either one of those. Best comedy series on TV is Atlanta. Best drama is The Shy. Just to let you know, it's not all one side in the app. I didn't vote for any of those. Atlanta and the Shy were my votes. I, I thought Atlanta was the most brilliant show on TV, in, in my opinion. With, you know, the Donald well, Glover show. It's about what made the list. No, but it's a pocket. No, no, I know. I'm just saying it's my. I said it's my. What I voted for. I, I prefaced that. Oh, okay. I, I voted for Atlanta and the Shy. <laughs> like, there, there wasn't a better. There's not a better TV show on TV than Atlanta and the Shy. In my opinion, was the best drama. This is a democracy in action. I mean, I disagree only because I think with with Atlanta, the the, the story. I mean, Atlanta is certainly a, a a great show, and I think it's uh, it's good to see you know a show that's built around uh, black male identities. However, you get that and more with Queen Sugar. You get you know the three sixty you know experience of what being black you know, in this country is all about. But, you know, that's the great thing about the organization is that it's a group of, you know, 50-plus critics who come together and who, you know, we discuss these things through and we, you know, we ultimately, uh, you know, run with, make sense, you know, run with what, um, you know, what, 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 whatever turns up in the final balloting, you know. But certainly that's not to say that shows that didn't, that weren't necessarily our number one pick don't have merit as well. It's just that this year they didn't make the list, but you know, who knows what may happen next year. Absolutely. And before time runs out, I'd like for uh, you guys to talk to me about the upcoming AFCA awards. What can we expect? Well, this is our 10th anniversary. So we're really, really excited. The show's come a long way. Uh, we'll have special achievement awards given out to 
uh, Quincy Jones again, and also to Jason Blum uh, from Blumhouse, uh, who will receive our Cinema Vanguard Award. You know, we're, we're expecting the cast of Black Panther as well as John David Washington will be in attendance, uh, and also uh, cast members uh, from the Bill Street can talk along with its director, uh, Barry Jenkins. And so, you know, it's a thrill. It's something that we have, that we spend a lot of time on, uh, and it's something that gets better and better and better each and every year. So we think it's going to be a kickoff for a great year uh, for the organization. Uh, we're going to be doing a year two of our Turner Classic Film series that takes a look at uh, the Black experience in cinema. So we're uh, looking forward to doing that. That's going to air once again in September. And we have a lot of other projects that are in the pipeline, such as our uh, Women in Cinema uh, series that will be running in March in Los Angeles and Atlanta. And also Black Elegance, I mean, Excellence, Celebrating Black Excellence, which will be taking place in L.A. Uh, during the month of February. Uh, and a few other things. Uh, the uh, uh, after we partnered with Better Brothers to present a look at uh, LGBT identities in October. Uh, so, you know, as always, the organization is filled with surprises and, you know, we're going to continue with our student boot camps across the country, you know, as well as our, our signature Atlanta event, Synergy, uh, during the late summer. Yeah, it's a lot going on. Uh, the summer screening series will be back where we highlight anniversary titles, you know, in June, July, and August, and we'll be expanding into New York and Chicago and maybe a Midwestern city that goes unnamed, Kansas City, <laughs> perhaps. If Mr. Edwards has time, not, has time, it's not on the plane all summer, flying around <laughs> the world. Um, so, yeah, the organization is busy, we're healthy, and uh, we're going to be on TV next year. So definitely look forward to getting that announcement. Oh, wow. That's good news. Good news. Good news. Well, thank you so much, you two, for being a part of this conversation. I'm excited to for the Africa Awards, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the big schedule. for Follow us that. socially, socially on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. All right. All right. No, well, that's it. Okay. Well, you know. Sean, Gil, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you at the AFCA Awards. No, thank you. Thank you. Yes, 10 thank years, you, 10th anniversary. Thank you very much, Ed. Again, that was AFCA co-founders Gil Robertson and Sean Edwards. The 10th annual AFCA Awards will be held on February the 6th at the Taglian Complex in Los Angeles. You can find the complete list of winners and information about the Special Achievement honorees by visiting the website at AFCA.com. Oh yeah, and one thing I want to emphasize that makes the AFCA list so unique is that each year we feature Best Television in Comedy and Drama and also Best Web Series, which you heard a little bit of the conversations with Sean and Gil. And that's our show. Thanks to our guests, Gil Robertson and Sean Edwards, for participating in this episode. And I encourage you to stay up to date on all things AFCA by following us on Facebook. You can tweet us at the AFCA and Instagram us as well. So until next time, keep your head up. <laughs>